Good morning. I am glad you guys all survived Snowmageddon. We, uh, you, you're probably, maybe you're looking at some of the guys that showed up from the, we had to make a call yesterday on men's retreat, so all the guys came home last night on men's retreat. We saw this wall of water that was coming at us. And we decided that it was best to be able to get off the beach and make sure that we got home before the, some of the snow and stuff hit. And so we had a great time at the men's retreat. And praise God, we had a, there was 36 of us that ended up being able to make it out. But, you know, it was an adventure. At first they said, we have no power. They go, oh, are we going to go or are we not going to go? So we were praying, Lord, do you want us to go? Do you not want us to go? And it's one of those things where you're really trusting in the Lord and 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 asking for the Lord's guidance, you know, what do we do? And so we figured out, well, on the roads we can go, but we don't have any power. But at 9 o'clock Friday morning, they said, yeah, we got power. It's like, okay, we'll go. So we all went. We went down there, and then uh, God did an amazing work. We had a, a, a gentleman come to faith in Christ on that trip. That was great. Yay, God. It was huge. And... Uh, and then we looked at the weather report and going, ah, maybe we should. I was coming back last night, but I was going to leave the guys there. And I thought, no, let's get everybody home. So we got everybody home to be able to, to be in it with us today. And so we want to encourage you guys, when we see these things happen, just really pray. And by faith, trust in God. And then just in boldness, go wherever He wants you to go. Because you never know. And, and what if the whole reason for getting out of here and going on that trip was for one? Would it be worth it? So you always go for the one. So with that, we want to focus on this, or this, what day is it? Sunday. It's been a long weekend. This Sunday, uh, it's the last Sunday of the month where we turn our attention for a different missionary for the next month. And so our missionary that we want to focus on for the next month of March is Jeff and Carrie Gage. Now they're in Germany. Jeff has been a friend of mine and, and a student of mine since for probably 30-something years. They've been, in, and he married Carrie, and, and they're doing ministry in Germany with EDOT, with technology and all the different things that are going on. And so, um, because he's a, he's, a, he's a tech geek, he, he does videos, and he does them pretty good. So we have a video from Jeff that we want to share with you, and then we're going to pray for him. Hey, you guys. So we're coming to you from Carrie's new prayer room, which used to be Wesley's bedroom, and two weeks ago today he got a new bedroom. Yeah, he just got married. <laughs> yes, he did. So. He got married two weeks ago today. Yeah, to Joelle, and we are so thrilled to be parents. In a sense, we got to help them move into their new place. We got to move furniture. We just got to be there and celebrate him, and it was really a wonderful time. And the wedding went without a hitch. Mm-hmm. What was your favorite part? My favorite part was probably the mother-son dance, and there was a lullaby prayer that I used to sing to him when he was a baby from Twilight Paris, and that was like, I pray that you will follow him your whole life long, and that was um, a really special moment for me. Mm-hmm. How about you? My favorite part was seeing the community they've surrounded themselves mm-hmm. with, uh, just yeah. meeting their, their friends, uh, even the pastor and his wife uh, that have been discipling them and, and counseling them as they've been getting ready to get married. Yeah, really, really good. Yeah, it made me feel like they're going to be okay. they got a great community around them. Yeah, and yeah. That was special. Yeah. But now we're back in Germany and getting back to our other life. Yeah, and so, so we did what so many others have done. We joined a gym. There's a new gym in town. In town, but it was really, it's really a great one. And yeah, really good. amazing that it's here in this little town. The, 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 the person that we signed up with is a, is a friend of ours, an immigrant that has been here for a few years now. So, so that's been a great. It, um, relationship builder as well. Mm-hmm. But you've been learning some other so things. So I was thinking about how faith is like a muscle that you have to work out, just like we work out our physical muscles. And then a friend of mine out of the blue said, yeah, faith is like you know a muscle that you're being stretched. And it's so funny that you say that when I'm thinking about this and talking to the Lord about it. And then in coordination, mm-hmm. sometimes the Lord speaks in three different ways. Um, I was reading in my Bible study this morning from Hebrews 11.1, 1, and it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And that sense that faith is an assurance, mm-hmm. you know, and we can't see him or spiritual things with these eyes, 
But as we grow in faith, step by step, we grow and be able to see spiritually and okay. see what he's doing. And God's been stretching you and in CBS. And he's been me in CBS, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so there is a UK conference of leaders in a month from now. And they are gathering to do training. And I really felt like I needed to contact them to set up uh, prayer rooms there. And so I did. And they said, yes, come. And so I'm bringing another gal from, from my area here. And then we're going to set up an uh, intercession room and a worship room. And we have a lot of ideas. But since we're going there, we thought, why not connect with other prayer, prayer movements in the UK? Mm-hmm. And so there's one in Wales that mm-hmm. we're going to go spend some time with praying for the ministry there with some other people. And then we're going to visit the 24-7 uh, prayer room that they, they just made this abbey. So they just bought this abbey. So, yeah, there's a few things that we're going to be traveling and doing. So I'm super mm-hmm. excited. So before you go to that, less than two weeks from now, I go to Belgium for ICCM. Uh, And so I will be, uh, ICCM is essentially a a conference for techies. So it's half tech conference and also half spiritual retreat. And so one of my roles in this conference is to help teach a class on uh, 3D printing. And so excited about that, nervous about it, honestly. And uh, but looking forward to that, and then the fellowship time, so you've always loved that, yeah. And then, um, after Carrie gets back from the UK, uh, we're going to go to Alkmaar, Netherlands. Uh, I've been talking about the Pearl of Great Price Treasure Hunt app that I've been developing for the past few months. It's in coordination Um, with the ministry there to mm -hmm. ask ask for him to do that. Yeah, we've been doing this in partnership with them, and they've been, um, well, it's due to publish, mm-hmm. go live on May 1st. And so well, this is going to be our last chance to do some on-the-ground testing of the final Yes, I get to help test and yeah. see if it works. So. And then we'll also be celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary years. Yeah. in the Netherlands. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. so, so we have a lot of travel for you to pray over. Mm-hmm. Um, but, oh, the other thing. But yeah, the other thing. At the same time, we're in Alkmaar. We'll be going to, uh, Sophie will be going to India. Yeah, so she was going to India, if you remember, her freshman year of high school. And then Three co- years ago. COVID yeah. hit. And then she had all of her money raised. So what the school did is they banked it for her. And so she, they couldn't um, get back the cost for the plane tickets, mm-hmm. but she, but all the other money she has. So, um, so she's preparing to go. And actually, she's going to make a little video. And we're going to attach it to this email so you can uh, follow her and connect with her if you'd like. But um, it's it's a stretching of faith for her, yeah. and the Lord's doing some some things in her for yeah. after college. Yeah, that more to come on that. More that's, to come. That, yeah, that's pretty intense. What Sophie's signing up for. So, so, so thank, thank you, you so much for your love and your support. And yeah, and your pray, and, and send us your prayer requests. Mm-hmm. We'd love to pray for those. Yeah. And uh, thank you for um, supporting us and and all these things. And uh, as we always end our videos. Cheers. Cheers. Very good. They're a cute couple, aren't they? And it's it's just a blessing for me to be able to watch them grow. So one of the things that we that we do is we pray for our missionaries for sure. And the list of those things that they mentioned are in your bulletin. And so we want to make sure that uh, that they're prayed over. So for the next month, if you can work through that list, both the trips, all three of their trips actually, and then Wesley. With that, a couple other things, and then we're going to have the ushers come forward for this morning's offering. We're going to pray for the missionaries and pray for the offering at the same time. God, it is well. It is well because of you. It is well because we can put everything that we have on you, and you can help us through it, God. No matter the situation, no matter what we're going through, God, we just have to turn to you. We just have to put it on you, and we just have to trust in you, God. Trust that everything will be okay. God, thank you for this time that we can get together today and just lift up your name and praise your name. And God, you are just so good. It's all about you and you are so good. So God, just open our hearts today and just open our ears and open our minds. Help us to receive your word and just take it to heart and be with Pastor Kerry as he shares your word and God, it is well because of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated, and if you would, find your way over to Acts chapter 24 as we continue 
this study through the book of Acts, Luke's account of the beginnings of the early church. I want to tell you about a conversation that took place in hell. You're like, well, that's kind of a weird way to open up a sermon. You see, the devil decided to have a conversation with his four top demons. And they got together and he says, you know, we've been doing this for a long time. We need to be a little creative. We need to figure out a better way to be able to trap these people. So what do you got for me? Well, demon number one, he comes up and he says, you know, I got an idea. Let's tell people there is no God. Satan says, hmm, bless your heart. That won't work. All they have to do is look around creation and see that there is a God. So demon number two says, well, let's tell them there is no heaven. He says, no, that's not going to work either. You see, everybody in their own mind thinks they're good enough to go someplace after they die, and they're looking forward to being someplace after they die. So in their mind, there is some kind of heaven or afterlife, and they all get to go there. So the third demon, he comes up and he goes, you know, I got it. Let's tell them there is no hell. He says, no, that's not going to work either. See, man's got a conscience. And in his conscience, he knows that there is some kind of difference between right and wrong, and there's a judgment that follows after that, and, and so there is some sense of fear of this judgment that will come into play. So that's not going to work. And then the fourth demon, this little pipsqueak of a little demon, comes up and, Mr. Satan, Mr. Satan, I got it. Let's tell him there's no hurry. And he goes, that will work. That will work. That there's no hurry. We'll tell him that you've got plenty of time. You can decide later. You don't have to worry about it. You've got all your life. You can make that decision to follow Christ or not follow Christ. You don't have to worry about your eternity because you've got all these days that are before you. That's what we would call spiritual procrastination. There's a danger with spiritual procrastination. What do you think that danger might be? You see, the problem with spiritual procrastination is I'll get right with God later, but what happens if that later never comes? What happens if you die before that later came? That decision would be final. It would be complete. You would stand in judgment and you go, you know, I really had good intentions, God, to accept you. They say that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Procrastination is dangerous in our lives. Spiritual procrastination is extremely dangerous. We come into this account in Luke, I'm sorry, in Acts, where Luke is writing this, what we would call the trial pericope, the, the, the section where Paul is on trial. Chapters 24, 25, and 26, Paul's going to be going through a series of trials and encounters. And you always got to wonder, God, why would you allow Paul to have such a great evangelistic ministry in Asia Minor and all of these other places? And then you bring him back and you put him in jail. Do you know why? For evangelism. God brought him to Caesarea, as we're going to pick up, as, as in order to evangelize to three leaders at this time. Now, we last left Paul being persecuted by the Jewish antagonists in Jerusalem. They wanted to kill him. And then Lysias, the commander, says, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to ship him off. And you're going to go to Caesarea, which was the, the Roman capital, and you're going to stand trial there. So Lysias ships Paul off to Caesarea on the coast to stand trial before Felix within this. And to go meet with these people that are in this area, this seaport, Lysias, the commander, didn't find any fault with Paul. But there was this group of Jewish antagonists that hated him. 
And so this, this group hated him so much. Lysias says, no, we're not going to do this. We're going to send him out. This group of 40 decided we're going to kill him on the way. And God says, no, you're not. And we had 470 soldiers, if you remember last week, that escorted him all the way to go see Felix. Gets over to Felix. Felix says, I'm going to wait for the accusers to come to pick up in this area. Felix is this governor of Judea. He wasn't a very nice guy. Been married three times. Very narcissistic within this. But you've got to keep in mind, in the backdrop, the conversation that Jesus had with Paul and said, Paul, you're going to Rome. I'm not done with you until you get to Rome and you're going to be in this journey. And so Paul would be in this really long journey of getting to Rome, but it would be a process. If you ever wonder what God is doing and say, God, what are you doing with this? Just stop and, and wait and listen. And he'll reveal it to you. His purpose, day by day, he didn't get this itinerary that you're going to witness to Felix, to Festus, and to Herod Agrippa before you go. But God said, no, they need to hear the gospel. So they'll be held accountable. Our account this morning is going to be taking a look at, Felix, at, at uh, Paul getting to Caesarea, encountering a trial before Felix, and how Felix handled it. What we're going to see, though, is the danger of spiritual procrastination as Felix hears the gospel and really doesn't do anything about it. As is our practice, let's stand as we read through Acts 24, verses 1 through 27. I know it's a, a rather long chapter, but I think you can make it. If, you, if standing's too much, that's okay, but we just want to respect God's Word. And, and listen to the words as God speaks. In, in Acts 24, 1, it says, After five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders with an attorney named Tertullus. And they brought charges to the governor against Paul. And after Paul had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying to the governor, or accuse him, saying to the governor, Since we have through you attained such peace, and since your providence reforms are being carried out for this nation, we acknowledge this in every way and everywhere, most excellent Felix, with all thankfulness. But that I may not weary you any further. Doesn't this guy sound like a bad lawyer? Any further, I beg you, grant us, by your kindness, a brief hearing. For we have found this man a real pest, a fellow who stirs up dissensions among the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. And he even tried to desecrate the temple, and then we arrested him. And we wanted to judge him according to our own law, but Lysias, the commander, came along with much violence, took him out of our hands, ordering his accusers to come before you. And by examining him yourself, concerning all of these matters, you will be able to ascertain the things of which we accuse him. And the Jews joined in in this attack, asserting that these things were so. When the governor had nodded for him to speak, Paul responded, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge to this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. Since you can take note of the fact that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship, neither in the temple nor in the synagogue nor in the city itself did they find me carrying on a discussion with anyone causing a riot, nor can they prove to you the charges of which they now accuse me. But this I admit to you, that according to the way, which they call a sect, I do serve the God of our fathers, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written with the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men cherish themselves, that there shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. Now, in view of this, I also do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience before God and before men. And now after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and present offerings in which they found me occupied in the temple, having been purified without any crowd or uproar. But there were some Jews from Asia who ought to have been present before you and try to make accusation if they should have anything against me or else let these men themselves tell you what misdeed they found when I stood before their council. Other than for this one statement, which I shouted out while standing among them, for the resurrection of the dead, I am on trial for you today. 
But Felix, having a more excellent exact knowledge of the, about the way, put them off saying, When Lysias the commander comes down, I'll decide your case. And when he gave orders to the centurion for him to be kept in custody and yet have some tr- freedom and not to prevent any of his friends from ministering to him. But some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jewess, and sent for Paul and heard him speaking about faith in Christ. But as he was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened and said, Go away from this present, and when I find time, I will summon you. Now, at the same time, he was hoping that money would be given him by Paul. Therefore, he also used to send for him quite often and converse with him. But after two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. And wishing to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. Now Luke writes in a narrative form. So you've got to understand that Luke is reporting to Theophilus, lover of God, about this account, about Paul's trial here. And it's the first of, of three trials and speeches that he'll be having. But one of the things that we've got to look at is this, is that Trials provide an opportunity for witness. I don't like trials. I don't know very many people that do. How many of you woke up this morning and said, Lord, please send trials my way today? Doesn't happen. We don't like trials, but trials provide an opportunity to witness. And so Paul was taken over to Caesarea and he's going to stand trial before Felix and, and be prosecuted in this area of of his faith that is there, pleading his case before the governor. Now, this narrative of chapter 24 very much is a court. We have a a prosecutor that gives his opening statement, and then you have Felix who gives his defense in this. But what you don't have is you don't have a judgment within this. And so the case opens up with Paul before Felix, and you have Tortullus, who arrives with Annas, the high priest, and a group of elders from the Sanhedrin. Most likely they were Sadducees because they didn't like Paul. The Pharisees, if you remember in account, the Pharisees said, we have no problem with Paul. Why? Because, well, Paul believes in the resurrection and you Sadducees hate the resurrection. And because we hate you Sadducees and we agree with Paul on the, the resurrection, we're siding with him. We find no problem with him. But the Sadducees didn't believe in eternal life. They didn't believe in these other aspects, and so they followed along. So you got Tortullus. Now, who is this Tortullus? Tortullus is a Hellenistic Jewish lawyer. He, he was schooled in law in Rome. He was well-versed in, in court uh, protocol within these things. So imagine you got Ananias, who's the high priest, who gets this high-priced lawyer to come and to plead this case. Why? Because he wants Paul dead. What did Paul do? What did Paul do that was so grievous that he would spend so much time and so much energy to shut Paul down? One man wants to shut him down. This demonic event trying to halt the gospel. Can you imagine if he at this time was able to succeed this? But you can't stop the work of God within this. So this lawyer shows up. It's interesting because the Greek word for lawyer is rhetoros. Have you ever heard the word rhetoric? comes from that. And so it's one who who speaks in court that is, is schooled, as I said, with this idea of rhetoric or speech that is there. The other thing that I think is important to note is who is not in the courtroom? The Jews from Asia Minor that started all of this. They're not present. Now, why is that a problem? According to Roman law, a legitimate court can only take place if you are facing your accusers. They're not there. So the only accuser that is there is Ananias and and some members of the Sanhedrin, but... These Jews are not there. And Paul makes note of that in his defense a little bit later. Now, 
when you read through this text, if you read through it slowly, and I encourage you, read your Bible slowly, soak it in, you'll find comedy. As I was reading through this, I was listening to this lawyer, and I had, I had in my mind all these pictures of all of these lawyers. Now, if you're a lawyer here, or if you're watching on, online, and you're a lawyer, and you're a Christian, bless your heart. We need Christians in, in law. We need Christians that are doing that. But there's an awful lot of lawyers that are sketchy and, and within that. And he practices this thing, and I'll try to say the word, captatio benevolente. It's a, it's a Latin word, phrase, that literally means fishing for goodwill. We use a term today called sucking up. I don't know how that translates into Latin, but there you have it within this. And so he opens his phrase with this, these opening comments in a very rhetorical question or technique, trying to butter up them. And within this, this lawyer with all these false witnesses, with all these false pretenses, is trying to get Felix on his side. And he uses he uses these statements within this. As in like verse 2, he says, since we have through you attained much peace. Was that a truth or a lie? It's a lie. They didn't attain much peace. In fact, what historically tells us that under Felix, they had an numerous amount of insurrections and difficulties within the land. In fact, so much so that Felix would lose his job because he couldn't create peace between the Jews and the Gentiles. He would lose his job because of it. So that was a lie. He comes in and he says, yeah, we have this piece. He was a poor manager within this. And his second lie, since by your providence, reforms are being carried out for this nation. You have done such a great job in leading. We have all of these reforms that are making our nation such a blessed place. You have been such a great leader that you are. We are better off now, Felix, because of you. Really? No. They're on the verge of the Jewish wars that will take place within this. Felix was, was horrible in his leadership. There, there were no positive reforms. It was harder to live in the Jewish culture and the, Jewish, or the economy in Judea at this point in time than anywhere before. Now, I know we can't relate to that, but... Understand, there are people that believe lies about themselves and they embrace those lies that reinforce their position. And this guy was sucking up. He was t speaking lies within this. But the other thing that I think was important to understand is this third lie. In verse 3, we acknowledge this in every way. We, inclusive we, acknowledge this in every way and everywhere. Most excellent Felix with all thankfulness. All the Jews love you. Is that a truth or a lie? Lie. And so he said, after he butters up and he does these opening statements, and he brings these accusations against Paul. And again, these prosecutions that are there, there's three accusations against Paul. There's a personal charge, there's a political charge, and there's a religious charge that are all part of the charges that he brings against him. So within this, he's, he brings out these charges in verse 5, he, or he, he butters on, he says, so we don't worry, we're going to bring this out. Verse 5 says, for we have found this man a pest, a real pest. That's personal. What does that mean, a pest? Well, if you look at the word in the original language, it means he's a plague. He's a pest. This guy, this guy is a troublemaker that infects and infests everywhere he goes with horrible diseases and pestilence and all of these things. Is that a truth or a lie? It's a lie. He's bringing the gospel. People's lives are radically being changed. They're coming to faith and they have eternal life and they have eternal hope for the first time within this. It's the same charge of Paul being infectious Throughout the known world. In fact, it wasn't really Paul that was being infectious. What was really being infectious? The gospel. The Spirit of God was changing people's lives. Paul was just the vessel. 
But the same charge was brought out by the Jews in Macedonia in Acts chapter 21, verse 28. It says this, crying out, Men of Israel, come to our aid. This man who preaches to all men everywhere, note, against our people and the law and this place, and besides, he has even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. What is Tortullus doing? He's bringing this accusation forward of these Jews, but it was a lie. There was no truth in that. But within this, he's expanding this idea for Felix that it was impacting the whole Roman Empire. Why would the lawyer make the governor, the judge, believe that Paul was having a, a, a poor effect on the whole Roman Empire, affecting this peace. Because Felix doesn't care about the Jews or the Jewish laws or Jewish religion. But what he does care about is him, himself being a governor, which gives us insight of how this lawyer is playing in. He's playing into Felix's narcissistic behavior. Have you ever known a narcissist? Maybe one or two of you have. Narcissists only have one person in mind. They only look for themselves and whatever they can get for themselves at the least cost to self within this. Felix is already on the hook with Rome. He's already been called into Rome once because he couldn't handle the people. And now there's a potential another insurrection in his land. And the lawyer is playing into his insecurity within this. And so we look at this and we say, wow, okay, this guy's good. The second charge was the political charge. Notice he says he's the ringleader of the Nazarene sect. That word ringleader means first revolutionary. He's the ringleader against the Nazarene sect. Interesting use of words. The Nazarene sect. Why would he use this idea of this Nazarene sect? One... Christianity, I'm sorry, Judaism, I misspoke. Judaism in the Roman Empire was a legal religion. It was legal to be a Jew in the Roman Empire. You could be a Jew without any problem. You could practice your Judaism without any problem. And so Rome had governed what faith systems and structures would be allowed. But Christianity, he says, is outside of Judaism. It is a Nazarene sect. It's a cult within this. Oh. There's this sect, there's this cult that's going against the Roman Empire that is, that is there. And he says, Paul, up as the ringleader, the first, organizing a, an insurrection against the Roman Empire. And within this, he, he says to him, look, at, he's the ringleader that is here. And he is rallying all of these people of the sect of the Nazarenes. Why do they call him the Nazarene? Because Jesus was from Nazareth. Because Jesus was from Nazareth and people were following Jesus. In that, they gave him this identity of this insurrectionist within this. The beauty about it is Luke writes later in verse, I believe it's 22, says... But Felix was very aware of the way. This lawyer renames Christianity from the way to a Nazarene sect. Why? Because he's trying to prove his case. The third charge was a religious charge. Paul tried to desecrate the temple. And again, Rome didn't really care about Jewish law or the Jewish worship. In fact, Rome gave the Jews the opportunity to enforce their own Religious laws didn't really care about this, this idea of desecrating the temple that is in there. And Paul was falsely charged. Question, have you ever been falsely charged based on an assumption? How did it make you feel? How did it make you feel for somebody to make an assumption and, and judge you based on an assumption and an untruth? What had happened here? Paul came back from Asia Minor, met with James, the leader of the church. James says, we're glad the ministry is going on, but you know, there's some people that are saying that you're against Judaism. 
you're against the temple. Paul, we know that's not true. Paul said, no, it's not true. Well, in order to prove that, pay for four guys to go through their Nazarite vow, and you yourself cleanse yourself and go to the temple and then worship. Well, that would be the case, and he would do that. The problem is, these Jews that were there saw Paul walking in the streets with a Gentile from Ephesus. His name was Trophimus. And they assumed, because Paul was walking in the street next to a Gentile named Trophimus, that Paul took Trophimus with him into the temple beyond the court of the Gentiles, into the court of the Jews, where there's this big sign. And if you were here, we studied it. It says, no Gentiles beyond this point. And he's painting a case. And it's a lie. It's an agenda that is there. And we look at this and we go, wow. How far will Satan go to destroy you? How far will Satan go to silence your witness? Paul is on trial here. But the trial is just a demonic mechanism that is keeping Felix from coming to faith. To paint this picture from, about Paul that the gospel would stop right there in Caesarea and wouldn't even go to Rome. Satan is working really hard in this spiritual battle. Do you realize that there are spiritual battles and warfare that is going on around us all the time? That there are demonic forces that are trying to stop the, the progression of the gospel, to hinder the gospel from going out and trying to stop you from sharing the gospel? But on the other side, there are demonic forces that are going on all the time that are trying to stop people from hearing the gospel. And so there's this battle that's going on here. And we need to be people of prayer, warriors, and praying. And I, and I praise God because we have people in our church that that's what they do is they pray. We have people right now that are praying during this service. We have people that pray all the time for the ministry of the gospel to go out, and it should. And so with this lawyer, Tortullus, who goes through and he explains this, he says, this is what happened. Then what's interesting, if you note in your Bibles, you're going to see a bracket from 6b all the way to 8a. Now, if you read the footnote, it'll tell you that this is not in the original or early manuscripts that is there. It'll appear in the King James Version, and, in all, and because it's in what's called the Western Byzantine Version, when you do um, what's called textual criticism, when you study the Bible based on how it's written, you understand that uh, the smaller translation is actually the more accurate that's there. And it's bracketed there because the, the early church uh, scholars that went through this text and went through all the text realized that there wasn't enough manuscripts that support this being in the original text. Does it mean it has no value? No, it, it's got value. But a scribe later adds this like inclusio commentary that is in there that helps to understand, trying to help Luke finish the statement out. Giving the intent of the lawyer, we wanted to judge him according to our own laws. And they did. We read that earlier in Acts 21. And Lysias, the commander, came along with much violence. Well, that was not completely true, but he did take him out. With our own hands, ordering the accused. So it's not that it didn't happen. It did happen in chapter 21, but it's not in chapter 24 in Luke's account. So don't get weirded out and go, well, do I have to throw out the Bible? No, don't. Don't get weird. You just got to understand how, it, how the scholars have, have given us the Scripture and how it all works together. The biggest thing is this, how he ends in verse 8. Notice how the, the lawyer closes his case at the end of 8. By examining him yourself concerning all of these matters, you will be able to ascertain the things which, of which we accuse him. The lawyer actually sets up the opportunity for Paul to witness. And he doesn't know it. What does the lawyer say? By examining him yourself, you'll ascertain the truth. Hmm. The lawyer saying, by examining him yourself, you're going to agree with me. 
But God says, no, let these words ring. Felix, you need to examine him yourself. And he will as we read through this. He rests his case. Now, all the Jews, they all start yelling that we're there. The elders, they get all riled up. Felix gives him a nod and looks at him for Paul to speak and respond. So now it's Paul's opportunity to make his defense or to give his apologetic, which is really what that word means. Apologetic. So he gives him the nod, which I love. Can you imagine Paul? I'm picturing Paul. He's like going, oh, I'm going to let him have it. This is good. Because Paul was smart. And he was very well versed in law and capable of giving his own defense. Now's my opportunity to witness. And I love the fact that Paul does not interject himself in the lawyer's case. He just waits his turn quietly and sets it up. So what does that tell us? When in trial you get this opportunity to witness, wait your turn. Wait for the opportunity and look for it and carefully think through the words that you need to share within this. And so Paul began, began the same opening in the same way with this. And it says this, and again, he gives this, you know, fishing for compliment, but he doesn't do it like the lawyer. He just basically says to this, knowing that for many years you have been a judge to this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. That's it. That's all he gives. He just gives this normal opening, and then he starts working through these charges. The first charge, the charge of being an insurrectionist. He says, look it. He says, the fact is, I was only there for 12 days. And the time that I was there for 12 days, I didn't really talk to anybody. So in that 12-day time, how could I create a riot? How could I rally all of these people that they say against? How could I establish myself as a leader when I was only with James and I was only in the temple and I was only purifying myself that was in this? He didn't, state, he didn't raise up this whole crowd against them. In fact, in Acts 21, 27, it says this, When seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing him in the temple, began to stir up the crowd and laid hands on him. And the exact opposite, seven days into it, the Asian Jews were the ones that creating the riot. How do you answer a person that brings a false accusation? Truth. Just bring truth. Bring the truth and establish the truth within this. Within this, Paul goes through this whole rhetoric on this first statement. He says, since you can make note that there was no more than 12 days ago I went to Jerusalem, neither in the temple nor in the synagogue nor in the city itself, and they find me carrying on a discussion with anyone in the riot, nor can they prove to you any of these charges of which they, they now accuse me. And what Paul says, he says, now prove it. This is the truth. Prove it. Now, in verse 14, it's interesting because he does admit to something. What does Paul admit to? Paul admits to being a member of the way, not the Nazarene sect. Paul skillfully does something. Paul says that Christianity is not divorced of Judaism. It's actually part of Judaism. It is the completion of of Judaism that results in the resurrection of life. Notice in verse 14, I admit to you that according to the way, which is what they called Christianity at that time, which they call a sect, I do serve God of note, our fathers, believing everything that's in accordance with the law that is written in the prophets. We all agree. We have the same God and we have the same base foundation. Where do we disagree? Well, we disagree on the resurrection, but only part of us. Having this hope in God. I love the fact that Paul defends his faith and says, I am not deviating from my faith. My faith hasn't changed. I trust in God. And I trust in the Word of God. And I trust in the hope of the resurrection. You know what Paul does, which is amazing? He connects with the people in the witness. And then he inserts the truth of the gospel and the resurrection of life. He inserts this, this 
this hope that is there, Paul's living hope. And this is where he starts to evangelize. Resurrection of life was a hot topic between these Jews, and they would struggle with this. The resurrection into life is interesting because people view resurrection of life in the hopes that I'm going to get to heaven someday. But they also, in the culture and in our we also have to understand that the resurrection of life, is there a resurrection unto life and a resurrection into judgment? In Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, we read Daniel's vision of this. He says, Now at that time, Michael the great prince, who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress, such as never occurred, and there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people everywhere, who's found written in the book, will be rescued. But many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. These to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. That's a resurrection. And those who have insight will shine brightly and the brightest in the expanse of heaven. And those who lead the many to righteousness are like stars forever and ever. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal them up in a book. Note. Until the end of time, many will go back and forth and, will increase, and knowledge will increase. What is Daniel saying in this prophecy? That there is coming a resurrection for everybody. Everyone will be resurrected. Everybody. You'll be either resurrected unto life, an eternal life, or you will be resurrected to stand in judgment. There are only two classes of people. In this world. And we studied it on the men's retreat in Sacred Sons. There are only two classes. You're either saved or you're not saved. Period. You're either born again, the Spirit of God dwells in you, or He does not. And if you are born again and the Spirit of God dwells in you, then you are guaranteed the resurrection to life. And if you are not born again and the Spirit of God does not dwell in you, you are guaranteed the resurrection to life to judgment, where you will stand and have to give answer for all of the things that you've ever done, compare your works and see if they're good enough to get into heaven, and we know they won't be, because the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's a sobering fact that is there. And when Paul talks about this resurrection life, every Jew that knows the prophet Daniel that Paul said, I believe in, it's going to hear it. It's going to ring true in their hearts and they are going to be afraid. How do we know that? Because Felix was afraid when he heard it. Why? Because Felix knew his life. Question. Do you know your life? Do you know that if God was to call you home right now, it would be a resurrection unto life? Or is it fearful that it would be a resurrection unto judgment? You say, Carrie, that sounds a little like fire and brimstone. It is. Because death is real. I heard today of a man who called himself spiritual. That died without placing his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And this spiritual man died and will spend eternity in hell. There's this, this phrase that we utilize, spiritual and spiritual does not get you into heaven within this. Paul was hanging on to his faith and hanging on to the fact that there is this resurrection of life. And that's the sole difference between Paul and the Judaizers and Felix. Having that resurrection life and preaching that resurrection life. This would be a topic that would hit Felix. It would also hit Herod Agrippa much later as Herod Agrippa would have this theological uh, conversation with him, and Herod would say to Paul, you've almost converted me within this. In Acts chapter 26, verse 23, it says that Christ was to suffer, and the reason of his resurrection from dead, he would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. For the Jews, that Jesus Christ is the resurrection life was a deal breaker. Paul didn't hold anything back in his trial. Jews would accept this resurrection. 
but only on their own terms. We've got to understand that the resurrection of life is based on Jesus. He's the first fruit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 13 to 19 says this, as Paul writes to the church of Corinth, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is also in vain. Moreover, we even found to be false witnesses of God because we testify against God that He raised Christ whom He didn't raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. But if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are men most to be pitied. What is Paul arguing? Paul's arguing from the negative position and says, look it. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead and God didn't raise him from the dead, then we're calling God a liar. And, and then our, vain is, our, our faith is in vain. It's worthless within this. Is it? No, our faith has got great value. Because why? Jesus did rise from the dead. The tomb is empty. He showed Himself to more than 500 witnesses. He showed Himself to the apostles. He has given to us His Spirit as the down payment, the assurance of that resurrection that and salvation. No, our faith is not in vain. Therefore, we do not have to be afraid in the resurrection because we won't stand before judgment, but there are those that will be. So Paul closes his case in verse 21 as he defends his case well. And within this, and he says in verse 21, this is why I'm on trial, is for the resurrection of the dead. Notice in verse 22, though, Felix does his first step of avoidance. One of the hardest things to do is to witness to somebody that keeps procrastinating their decision. The trial set up a great opportunity for Paul to give to Felix, Ananias and everybody there, everybody was listening, to give to them the gospel message of the resurrection. And Felix says, mm, uh, I'm going to wait for Lysias to show up. Take Paul away, put him in the house under house arrest. Let people come and visit him. He's a Roman citizen. We don't have really any charges that are there. I'm just going to wait for Lysias to show up. Now, how do we know that this is a deflection? Because Lysias already sent a letter saying everything that needed to happen. In verse, chapter 23, verse 29 says this, and I found him to be, this is from Lysias, I found him to be accused um, over questions about their law, but under no accusation deserving death or imprisonment. So Felix does the sidestep. Have you ever tried to talk with somebody and think, ah, you know, let me think about it. I don't, you know, I need more information. I need to know some more. I need to hear from some more people that is there. So Paul, he stays there. And he stays under house arrest as this Roman citizen. How long? Two years. Two years. Do you realize that Paul was under house arrest in Caesarea for almost the same amount of time that he was in Ephesus? It's a long time. Have you ever been praying and witnessing somebody for a long time? And you want to grab them by the shoulders and say, look it. <laughs> that clock is running out. Now we know, based on Luke's narrative, that there were other conversations that were had. Look at verses 24 to 27. These people that are under conviction will procrastinate. And they'll come to that place where they keep working this out. Verse 24 says, Some days later Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jewess, and sent Paul and heard about him speak in the faith. Now we know that, that Drusilla was a Jewish born in 38 A.D., she was engaged to be married to a Syrian king as a child. And within that, she was supposed to be married to this, this king and was married, but Felix really wanted her. So he worked it out to where he would get her. 
But what you don't know in the text is Drusilla had a heritage that was connected to Jesus. Her great-grandfather is Herod the Great that tried to kill Jesus as a baby. Her great-uncle is Herod Antipas that tried to kill, or Herod Antipas that killed Jesus' cousin John the Baptist and mocked Jesus at his trial. And her father killed James the brother of John in persecuting Christians. Drusilla knew all about the Jew or all about Christians as a Jew and knew about this. And so Felix is married to someone who is very well aware of Christianity and all that is there, and comes and has this conversation with Drusilla, who I think Drusilla really wanted to know more about the way. And Felix, being the good husband, says, Honey, whatever you want. Yes, dear. And so they had these multiple conversations. But if you notice, Paul in the private conversation made Felix terrified. Verse 25, discussing what? Righteousness, self-control, the judgment to come. Was Felix righteous? No. And he knew it. Self-control. Did Felix have a problem with self-control? Oh yeah, he was a womanizer. And he was all about the bribes. He was a narcissist. And the judgment to come, oh crud, would make him afraid. And he says, go away and come back in a more convenient time. Meanwhile, or it says in the text, at the same time he was hoping for a bribe. What was really going on with Felix? What was going on with Felix was the fact that he was spiritually conflicted. He wanted money. And he was convicted of his sin. He wanted to gain something for himself. He was scared of being judged for his sins, which is still a narcissistic position. And he refused to make the decision. Not everyone that you witness to will come to faith. There are these spiritual struggles that go on within them. And there would be multiple conversations that Paul would have with Felix. And Luke ends the narrative and says this, that Felix would lose his job. After two years hard-pressed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, trying to get a bribe from him. And he loses his job. Felix would go back to Rome, wander the streets of Rome, never take another position. Drusilla would die later at the, um, at the Mount Vesuvius. <laughs> the eruption, I was looking for the word. The eruption of Mount Vesuvius where, according to tradition, she was covered by lava. Not ever coming to faith. Procrastination, spiritual procrastination is a decision. And if you remain in that condition of spiritual procrastination, it's going gonna, it's gonna to solidify this unbelief. You say, well, Carrie, what does that mean for me? Share the gospel. Keep sharing the gospel. And know that there are people that are putting off coming to faith. There comes a point in time when you need to tell them, stop it. Don't you understand? You putting off coming to faith really is solidifying your eternity. Today is the day of salvation. Because you don't know if you have a tomorrow. Today is your day. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this opportunity to be in your word, to take a look at these lessons. Lord, I thank you that today is the day of salvation. And for those that are saved, we are placed in your hand and nothing can separate us from that. But until we are placed in your hand, God, we are under judgment. God, I thank You that I am in Your hand. And I pray that every person in this room and watching online knows that they are in Your hand. But if not, don't put off for tomorrow what needs to be done now. Your spiritual procrastination will solidify your decision against God. And when you stand before a holy God, how is that going to work for you? Father, we pray for those that we will witness to that are procrastinating, that are putting off for tomorrow what needs to be done now. And give us the boldness of Paul to be able to speak truth and love. And to keep doing it, even if it takes two years or more. We should not give up on people because, God, you never gave up on us. We thank you for your love and your mercy. 
as we close out this time and we sing this song, may we think of those that we can share our faith with. And may they come to faith in you. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Let's all stand. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 630 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.